time. And so as you just saw, we're in this really fun series, um, but it's also an important series. It's called Twisted, um, just like the game show there, where we're looking at some of the most misquoted, misunderstood scriptures in the Bible. Um, these are scriptures that have been misused and misquoted by those within the church. So those of you here who have been going to church maybe for several years, maybe perhaps you've misused them. And there are also verses that have been misused and misquoted by people who perhaps never, ever stepped foot inside a church, but they know these verses, right? And they've used them and used them on you perhaps sitting here today, right? And so we're looking at these scriptures and they're taken out of context. And what we want to do today is we want to look at how is how, how are how are these verses used, right, properly in its context. And so what we're going to look at today is Matthew 7. All right, Matthew 7, if you have your Bibles with you, if you take, if you carry one still with you, uh, take it out. If you have it on your phone, your Bible app, go ahead and flip that, open it up to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, really our verse that we're going to hammer in or been hammered to us is verse 1. All right, but while you're getting there, I just want to quickly remind you again of something that we laid the front, uh, front, uh, framework last week about. All right, this series, again, is not to bash you, is not to shame you. If you've misused these verses before, right? This series is not, that's not the intention to say, hey, you've been, you've been wrong. You've been using that wrongly. Shame on you. Or you don't know the Bible. You don't know scriptures well enough. You see, you, you just don't have no idea what you're talking about. That's not the point of this series. All right. Our point of the series is to teach the Bible faithfully, to grow together, to learn together so that we can build up one another so that we can use scripture in its context to help encourage and lift and draw people to the beautiful Christ that we know. Amen. And so that's the point of this series. It's not to knock you down. And so I don't want you to sit here today and hide your face like, oh, my gosh, I just used that last week of my coworker. Right. That's not the point of this series. Please do not feel ashamed. We want to learn and we want to grow. We want to build up today. That's what we want to do here. All right. So hopefully you're at Matthew seven. I'm going to go ahead. And like I said, we're really going to focus in on our verse that we that have been taken out of context that we're focusing in is verse one. But we want to read verses one through five. And so I'm going to read them throughout our time together. I might go back to it. We're going to look at other scriptures, but just know it's in your notes. So if you're with us for the first time, you've gotten a bulletin. Inside those bulletins are some notes that we love for you to follow along with us. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead into Matthew chapter seven, verse one through five. Here's verse one. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. You'll be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Mm. Yeah, right? Mm. So verse one needs to be read again, but this time I'm not someone with, with a lot of attitude. Like this will be read perfectly by my wife who has a ton more attitude than I do. She's looking at me, yeah, yeah. She's from Flatbush, so she has the attitude. I'm from Park Slope. Those of you don't know Park Slope, yeah, corny old Park Slope. There's nothing good, right? Yeah, whatever. So this verse needs to be read with some attitude. And usually when we hear it, it's read in like that old school King James version, right? Judge not lest ye be judged, right? I kind of, see, that was bad. That was real bad. Some of you can do that a lot better than I could. We need some attitude when we say that verse, right? Do not judge me. Who are you to judge me? You're not God. Only God can judge me, right? And so that verse usually is said with some attitude, and, and, and we love to, to use it, or we've probably heard it used against us, and we've used it once or twice in our lives perhaps, right? But what we want to look at, what is Jesus really saying? 
Is he really saying no judging at all? Do not judge completely. Right. If I look at that text, if I look at that verse alone. It seems pretty clear to me. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Period. Pretty clear. Now, when I don't want my actions, when I don't want to be held accountable for my actions, that's perfect. Right. Right. It sounds just right. When my back is against the wall, I know that I'm in the wrong in something. Don't judge me. No, 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 no. Don't judge. That verse is perfect. Right? Taken out of its context, this person. But what is Jesus really teaching him? Before we look at its context, let's just look at it simply. What, what is Jesus saying? Is he saying that we're never to speak life into someone? We're never to judge altogether? If that's the case, and we're going to misquote Jesus here, then we shouldn't have a court system, right? Right. Who are we to judge someone who broke the law? You heard Danny say it a few moments ago, right? You got a ticket, go to that, to that judge and say, hey, man, the Bible says don't judge me. Right. Who are we to ever judge someone, period? Right. So if we're going to be consistent with that, let me say this. Let's, let's raise it up a little bit. Maybe something a lot more stronger than a parking ticket or a speeding ticket, right? How about a thief? Are we not to judge that thief? They have all the right to want whatever it is that they stole. Don't judge them. You don't know their life situation, right? You don't know what they need, why they need that. Don't judge. Or a sex offender, right? What if it's just their preference? What if they just, they, they love kids? Who are you to judge? It's a little bit deeper, right? What is Jesus talking about? Are we never on earth to tell someone that they're in the wrong or that, they, that they're heading down the wrong path? Because why? Everyone has their own life, right? Let them live their life. Whatever makes them happy is great. Whatever makes me happy is great. Hey, the Bible says for all I've sinned, right? The Bible says that as well. So you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Don't judge me. We're all sinners. But do you see the real problem with that? Fortunately, though, we live in a society that says, man, we got to tolerate everything. Right? Applaud everything. Everyone is right. Accept everyone. Accept everything. Tolerate everything. That is what I see pushed in society today. Right, sadly, it starts as young as my children in their school where they're being taught, man, you have to tolerate all things. And how dare you, how dare you say you stand against this because of what the Bible says or because your upbringing, hey, tolerate all things. Don't judge. Who are you to judge? On the flip side, it's that you don't, want to, you don't like to be judged yourself, right? No one wants to be accused as a judgmental person. Now, I got to stop there because, unfortunately, that's probably one of the biggest obstacles for many people to step foot in the church. They've been hurt by judgmental attitudes in, within the church. And so if you're visiting today and perhaps you, you, you've kind of fought with that and that's been your stumbling block, I want to tell you, man, you've probably been right in some ways. Sadly, the church, sadly within the church, we have misused our, our position, our, our, the love that Christ has given. We have been judgmental. We have been hurting others, and sadly, we've not done a good job to first love like Christ has loved us. We've not always followed the example of Jesus himself who loves us even while we are yet sinners. And I want to assure you today, if you're visiting with us today, and I want also my people here at Swerve who call this home to listen up because this is important. Swerve Church is a place where you belong before you ever even believe. We don't want to judge, but we want to love. We want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to care for, for you. We want to point you to Jesus. But what I want also for us is to see this, that when we do judge, are we, how are we to judge correctly? So within our time today, 
we're going to look at, is it 100% accurate to say that we're never to judge? And last week, we laid the framework for our time, our series. It's a four-week series. And throughout the series, what we're going to do or attempt to do is interpret the Bible in its context. How do we study the Bible? First, we want to understand the context that is in. That means what? That means who wrote it? Where was it written? Who's it written to? Where is that particular verse in its chapter, even that, right? It's important to know. Is it in the middle of the chapter? Is it in the beginning of the chapter? Is it at the end? Is there something before that? What comes after that? You don't want to ever interpret a verse alone, right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to pull something out of its context. And so we're going to look at Matthew 7, 1, and we're going to look at its context to get a better understanding, okay? We don't want to build an entire theology off of one verse, Right. Sadly, that's also been done where we have a lot of division within our churches because of that idea, that, that wrong way of studying the scriptures. And so we don't want to do that today. And so it's our goal today, and as it is every time we open the Bible, to understand the scripture in its context. So let's do that. We're going to look at Matthew 7, but before we do that, in its context, what comes before Matthew 7? Not a trick question. Matthew 6, right? Yep. Matthew 6 is correct. And I want to read a few verses. You don't have this in there. I'm going to be quick with it, but we want to be, uh, we want to basically understand its context. So Matthew 6, 1 and 2 says this. Jesus is speaking still, right? If you have a Bible, it's written and used in red. Okay, that means it's Jesus speaking. There's no breaks. And so it's one flow. His teaching here is one flow. So Matthew 6, 1, 2, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. What I want you to do is pay attention to maybe some key words or some repeated words that are going to be said in these verses I'm reading. Matthew 6, 5, he goes on, he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love pray to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners to be seen by people. You go down a little bit, Matthew 6, 16, it's all still in red, uh, Jesus is still teaching. And he goes on, he says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. We see that the theme of Jesus' teaching as we go on to Matthew 7 is hypocrisy. And so when you get to Matthew 7, it's again in red letters, there's no break in there. We see that Jesus is saying when you get to judging, there's a way that you should be judging. Jesus is not telling us that we're never to judge or we're never to speak into someone's life. But there's a way in which we are to judge. He's warning about praying. He's warning about how you fast. He's warning about how you give. And in the same way, he's warning now how we to judge. And in verse 1, do not judge, he goes and says, so that you will, won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you'll be measured by the same measure you use. Jesus is saying you will judge. There will come a time when you need to speak into someone's life. But when you do, don't judge hypocritically. Judge with the same measure that you want to be judged with. And then I love verses 3 and 5. And now, if there's a verse, a couple verses you don't want to take it out of context, it's this one, because then we're in a lot of trouble if we take verses 3 and 5 out of its context. And if, you know, it's just a little sense of humor. Jesus does love to laugh. As a church, we value fun, right? We want to laugh. And so we see in Scripture, Jesus plenty of times will we'll say a little joke and we'll, to illustrate something, we'll, we'll put some humor into it. And so he has a little sense of humor in verses 3 and 5 of Matthew 7. He says, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye? Do you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? You guys see the image? Let me help you out. I brought all along with me a little stick. All right, maybe we need to see this a little bit better. Back can I volunteer, actually? My wife's going to volunteer because she's, no, she's, she's not going to leave me here standing. 
All right, so you're not going to have to say anything to do anything. Just hold that hair clip. I took that from you. Um, <laughs> she didn't know. Put it by it. Right? And what Jesus is saying, man, look at you here. Don't, don't you, you look kind of ridiculous right now, Joe. <laughs> what are you talking about? They're laughing at you. Can you can we just do something about that? You know, if you want to serve in the church, you have to deal with that. You have to deal with that. Can I, can I help you out with that? She didn't move. She's bold. <laughs> yeah, and so it's that. Like Jesus is like, man, look at you. Look how foolish you look. But yet we love to stand with the beam of wood coming in our own eye. I'm close my eyes before I actually hurt myself. Right? And we love to just point out what's in our brother and our sister when we have ourselves this large piece of wood coming out of our own eye. Right? And so Jesus is saying, man, don't be a hypocrite when you judge. Look at your own life. Look at the beam in your eye before you even attempt to take out the little splinter in your sister's eye, in your brother's eye. He's not saying don't help the brother out, don't help the sister out. But maybe perhaps you need to first fix yourself before you help someone else who's falling apart. Right? And so what I want to do now is look at other texts in the Bible that can help us here see clearly what the Bible teaches about judging. So we're going to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. We good with that? So if you have your notes again, this is the time when you can actually follow along. You're going to find there that there are four points that I want to speak about today that cover what I think the Bible is clear about when it comes to judging. And number one in your notes is this. Never judge superficially. Never judge superficially. Okay, again, we're going back to context and knowing the flow of the scripture, the flow of what's going on in Matthew uh, 7. All right. We want to see that it's in red. And so I want to take us also to John 7, 24. It's in your notes as well. But if you have a Bible with you, it will probably help you to open up to John 7. If not, I have mine with me as, uh, as well. So I'll open mine up. And if you can see, you probably can. We're going to be in verse 24. Danny, can you tell me what color is verse 24 in? Red. It's in red, which means what again? That Jesus is here speaking. All right. So just like in Matthew 7, we see in John 7, Jesus is also talking. And he says this in John chapter 7. He said, you guys have it up there? It's in your notes as well. He says, so stop. He says, stop judging according to outward appearances. Can you guys read that next two words for me out loud? According to righteous judgment. Exactly. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus. Is Jesus, are you saying now that we are to judge? You see, there's a lot of error that we can fall into when we take a scripture out of its context and we just take a verse alone. Jesus is here clearly telling us that there's going to be a time when we are to judge others, but the way you judge is important. He says this to judge according to righteous judgment. In other words, Jesus is saying judge rightly, judge correctly. Don't judge just by mere appearance. Now that is probably the most frustrating thing to have done to you, right? How many of you have been judged just by mere appearance. It's frustrating. It's frustrating when you're judging correctly just because of the way you look or the way you're acting or, or maybe the moment you've been caught in. Please don't ever judge me if you pull over by the side and, I, and I, I'm, on, I'm in the car driving. Don't judge me how I pull off. Please don't because you're probably going to say that dude does not deserve to be a pastor. He should not be. Danny needs to sit him down. Guys, I'm from Brooklyn and I do have some road rage in me. Please don't judge by that. All right? But it sucks to be judged by mere appearance. Some of us have been. 
But if I'm completely real with you, I've been judged incorrectly, yes, by mere appearance. But I've also been the one judging other people by their mere appearance. A recent example would be a coworker of mine's at work. Um, she's been hospitalized now for more than a, almost a month straight. But before getting sick and being hospitalized, this coworker um, was probably is probably the most intimidating lady in our entire office. Let me explain, okay? I judged her based on mere appearance. This lady, she has this type of mean walk, right? She walks really slow. I don't care if you're behind me. You're going to have to go around me. Right? She's like, stay away from her. She has these earrings going up all the way from one ear, from the bottom, all the way up on both sides. It's just a real intimidating look, right? And now if you just look at her, you're like, stay clear of that one. Stay clear of her, right? Right? I've actually even heard it uh, from claimants. I work for, for uh, uh, the public. Basically, we interview people. I work for the government. We, we interview people daily. And so I've heard from people, man, please don't let me get cold to her. Right? Because she's just intimidating. Look, but I know her to be such a sweetheart. She's a sweet lady. But you know what? I've judged her by mere appearance. I've not spoken or been as bold with my faith when it comes to speaking the gospel into her life as I have with others at my office. Why? Because I'm just like, she probably doesn't want to hear anything about it. And so she's been hospitalized, and just yesterday, actually, um, no, not yesterday, on Friday, my manager, we had a, a, a staff meeting, and one of the things in the meeting was to just give us an update on, on this coworker, and she's doing well, but our manager encouraged us, hey, why don't you, if you have her number, send her a text message, just let her know you're thinking about her, ask her how her day is, just kind of random, just love on her. So I thought, man, man, that would be a great, great thing to, for me to do, and so I asked someone who had their number, they just gave me her number, and I sent her a message, I said, hey, uh, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your recovery. I'm praying that the Lord would just give you such peace, that you would know that he loves you. And I'm praying for your family, that they would continue to have the strength to support you in the way that they have been this entire month. Okay. Now, this doesn't have a great ending. Right? There's no, like, kind of boom, then she gave her life to the Lord in the next text message. Right? It's not that. But the point was, man, I judged her on mere appearance. And she responded with just simply, man, that was so uplifting. She didn't say, man, that was so uplifting. But she said, that was so uplifting. Thank you. And so we've judged people based on mere appearance. I've done it. I've done it. But let's not do that, right? Don't judge from a distance. Now, this is also hard on social media. How many of us have judged someone or judged that family who seems like they're on vacation every week, and they're posting in Florida, now they're in New Zealand, now and you're like, man, they think they got it all together. They think they're better than my family. Well, they must be rich. Oh, you know, and we judge and we say, man, they, who do they think they are? She's posting like 50 selfies. She thinks she's all pretty or whatever, and she thinks she's better than me. And, and we judge from a distance. We think we know their stories because we know what they posted on their Facebook stories or their Instagram stories. But let's not be fooled that we, in thinking that we actually can know someone's story just on the post on social media. Let's not judge superficially. Let's judge correctly. Second in your Bible, I mean in your notes, the Bible is clear that judging, we are to never judge hypocritically. We talked about this a little bit already, all right, and we see in our context in Matthew 7, 1 through 5 with Jesus with his funny illustration, right? We see how he's saying, man, don't be a, judge, a hypocrite when you judge. But I want us to see it as we look at interpreting the Bible with the Bible. I want us to look somewhere else in Romans 2, verse 1. In Romans 2, verse 1, it says, therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. I want to go to verse 4, and it says, or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Context, right? Context. Let's go to context. Paul. Paul's the author here. Paul's writing this, and he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, 
We know that because in verses in chapter one, he calls them by saints. He says, man, you're loved by God, uh, called as saints. And then in verse eight, he says, man, I've been hearing about the news of your faith. And so we know he's speaking to the believers in Rome. And then he gets to chapter two and he tells them this very important thing that you need to remember when you are judging. That you need to understand that you have in your life some very similar sins, if not the same sin that you're accusing others of. In the last few verses of that chapter, in the previous chapter, Paul reminds the Roman believers of their depravity of all mankind. He's talking about, hey man, we've all sinned. We have a sinful nature. He's reminding them that though your sin might not be their sin, your struggle might not be your struggle, your struggle, but you do sin and you do struggle in life. And he's just reminding them of that. And as they need a grace in God for God in their lives, so do you, he says. We all need the grace of God. We know that because in verse 4 he says, Don't you despise, do you despise the richness of his kindness, restraint, patience, and not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. What is he saying there? He's saying, don't you forget that God has shown you kindness. That he has been patient with you. That he continues to show you kindness and he continues to show you patience. Praise God, right? So don't judge hypocritically. We're to call out the wrong in our brothers and sisters, but again, we're to do so in a manner that is not to boast and lift ourselves up while pulling and tearing someone else down. Number three in your notes is this. This one is tough for me. Never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Let's deal with this one. Now, this is probably the hardest for me as, as growing up and becoming a mature believer, and there's many reasons for that. But first, the reason for me is I didn't grow up churched. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up hearing God, knowing God, loving God, all that stuff. I didn't, I, that wasn't just my upbringing. Okay, I didn't come to faith. I wasn't baptized to the age of 18. And so I didn't have this upbringing. And so for me, when I came to Christ, it was so easy for me to now all of a sudden shift my standards on my unbelieving family members. To say, hey, look at me, look at look what you need to do this, look what the Lord has spoken to my life. You guys don't get this and, and start enforcing or or, or 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 placing my standards now, the Christian standards on my unbelieving family members. This can be tricky because we don't want to pacify, we don't want to lessen the lives that our brothers and our family members, our unbelieving family members are living their lives, and we don't want to lessen that or the damage to them, the harm that they're heading. We don't want to do that. But remember, we're talking about here judging. We're talking about how do we judge them. And so when it comes to judging those outside of the church, our unbelieving family members, our unbelieving friends, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. He said this, he said, for what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges outsiders. To help us understand this verse, I like to think of my family and how my wife and I, we have three kids and how we're raising our children. Right in our home, there's a certain language that is just never, 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 ever, ever used. Right? There's certain movies that my wife and I we won't let our kids watch. There's certain music, you know, styles of songs, or or that we don't let them listen to regularly. We don't let them listen to that at all. There's there's all these different standards as a as a mom and as a dad that we place in our home to protect our children. Right? Because we can do that and we can control that in our home. But now, can I place those same restrictions on my neighbor's children? Someone's quick. Nope. Better not. Right? I cannot go to my neighbors and say, whoa, 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 my kids ain't allowed to watch this. What? They can't watch that. It's not good for them. Right? We can't do that. Now, what I could do 
If there's certain things that I know is harmful to my, 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 my family members and their kids, my brother's kids, and, and I know it's something harmful for them, what I can do is I can hopefully love them enough, be an example enough. My wife and I, our kids can be an example enough to gently lead them and show them why this might not be harmful. We might be able to speak into their life and do life with them. It's important there that we are doing life with the people that we want to enforce our standards on first, right? And maybe I can do that to hopefully positively influence them, to draw them to the beauty of Christ. Now, the same goes for us within the church. We cannot enforce Christian standards of those outside of the Christian family. Hopefully what we do is that we provide those outside the family with a healthy view of what family is. Hopefully as a church, we are healthy enough that we love one another enough where those standing outside of our church just look at us and say, man, they do love each other. And they would know that you belong to Christ, as scripture says, right? That in a way we love and do life together as a family, not like family, but as family, that they would be drawn to to the beauty of Christ. And I want to stress something here again. It's my prayer, Swerve Church, that we would always be a family that welcomes the outsider without hesitation, and check this, without expectations. So if you're visiting with us today, I want to let you know, man, you are welcome before you dress a certain way before you speak a certain way, even before you believe a certain theology, before you love Bustelo coffee. Because you don't know, we, we probably serve Bustelo coffee, and we'll let that stay a while. For, for, for at least a couple weeks, you don't have to love it. All right? We'll see a couple weeks from now. Right? But you don't have to believe a certain thing, dress a certain way, act a certain way, drink a certain coffee. <laughs> coffee. Coffee. Am I saying it right? <laughs> don't judge. But we want to love those outside of the family. We see that's what Jesus did, right? He hung out with those who needed to be loved most. And then as only Jesus can, he loved them to the point that he brought change into their lives. Check that. It's where if we can love people, God would change them. We can serve people, God would restore that broken heart. He's the one who changes. He's the one who gives life. We love. It's where we love. God is the one who heals. God is the one who redeems. God is the one who ultimately is going to bring that conviction in their life. God is the only one who could change their life and make it new. You and I can. But we can love them. We can serve them. Lastly, in our notes today, we want to see what's clear about judging is this. That our judging is to be done so that we do it to always help restore fallen believers. This is what I mentioned others before. We don't want to we don't want to knock someone down just so that we feel good about ourselves. Or worse, when they're down, we don't want to kick them. Right? Wrongful judging is done when we judge someone when what they really would benefit from most is some encouragement. Not a finger wagging at them. Not someone walking around with a stick that's that long coming out of them and saying, get this right. But what they need while they're down is some encouragement. Because we've all been down. You probably are down, feeling down right now. Well, you will be tempted. You're probably going through some temptation right now. If not, you will be tempted again. And it's in these seasons of our lives when we want people around us who are going to help us pick ourselves up and not knock us down. And sometimes that might mean some loving truth be told to us. But here's the thing with that. I love what Paul says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. This is the last verse in your notes today. He said this in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, he's talking to us, the church. If someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a person with a, say with me, gentle spirit. Watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. We'll get there. Carry one another's burden. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul reminds us that we are to deal with each other gently, especially when we're down. When you see a brother and sister who's flipping over their sin and they're tripping up and they're just heading down the wrong direction, that's not the time to say, I told you. I told you so. I told you you should have left that dude. I told you you should have spoke up. I told you you should have put that down and not gone through with that. It's not the time. It's not the time to wag your finger and puff up and leave, leave that conversation feeling like you just defeated the devil himself, right? Look what I did. It's not the time when someone comes into our church and maybe they look a certain way. It's not our time as a church to say, hey, get out of here. Oh, I just, I just saved Swerve Church. No. We come alongside with the gentle spirit as we would want someone to come alongside us. I love that Paul says this. He said, right? He said, so that, watching out that you won't also be tempted. What comes before a fall? Pride. Pride comes before the fall. Paul saying, man, don't you come out so prideful and arrogant like you don't have, like you have your stuff all together. Watch out at that moment. We are to demonstrate grace and truth. Not just all grace. Right? That doesn't mean then we are to tolerate everything and applaud everything. But we speak truth as well. But we're just not all truth as well. Jesus came full of Grace and truth. He didn't come half grace, half truth. He came full of grace and full of truth. We don't want to be all grace, and that means we don't want to just be liked by people by accepting everything that they do, right? Even if it's harmful for them, because what happens there? Eventually, that person is going to look at you and wonder, man, do you really love me, or are you just wanting to be loved by me? It's a difference. We also don't want to be all truth either. I admire someone who has strong convictions. I think we all admire someone who has strong convictions. But all truth without grace just leaves us wondering if that person, again, really cares for us. Or are they just trying to make me better? Are they just trying to prove that they're right? Are they just trying to ultimately show that you're wrong and they're right? You see, that's the person that we try to avoid to have conversation with, right? Because we walk out of that conversation always feeling, man, I don't feel good about myself at all. I suck. I stink. That person, their life is great. They must have everything together. What's wrong with me? Why can I get it right? See, Jesus came full of grace and truth. He came for the sick. He came for the sinner. He came for those of you who are hurting. So if that's you, Jesus is for you. Jesus also came to condemn those who who kept people in bondage in their religious beliefs and their religious set of rules. He came to set people free who are living in the bondage of their own sins. He called us to take up our cross and follow him. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life. He called people out of their sin and into repentance. So if you're a sinner, Jesus is for you. Jesus is for all of us who need some grace and some truth. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for your love. Just want to stop right there, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you that while we are sinners, while we are yet sinners, Christ, you came and you took our place. You left your throne and you came down. Make yourself one of us and so that you will live the life that we cannot live on our own. But you lived it perfectly. 
And ultimately, Jesus, you went on the cross for my sin because my sin deserves your punishment. My sin deserves death, as your word says. But I thank you and we thank you that today we can say confidently that our lives belong to Jesus because of what you did on the cross. That you went on that cross and you bore my sin. You brought the sin of those sitting here today. You willingly laid down your life so that I and so that we can enjoy fullness of life here on this earth and also in heaven for eternity with you. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you came in truth, that you did not leave us in our sin. You cared too much for us, that you did not just create us and turn your back and say, oh, well, let them figure it out. But you came and you poured truth and you were full of truth, but you were also full of your grace. And you came and you didn't throw a Bible at me, but you came and you threw your love at me. You loved us and you continue to love us. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that today we can be made whole if we would just turn from our sins and place our full trust in Jesus. So we thank you for your love. We pray that, God, we will leave this place encouraged. We will leave this place convicted of our sins, and we will leave our place madly in love with the God who created us. That we will be encouraged to love others. That we will not point fingers we will not try to take your place in the lives of others, but God, we will love them and we will serve them. And we will pray and trust that you're going to draw them to yourself. God, we thank you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.